Uh, that's the current events. Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Kings. 2 Kings. But let's go back a couple chapters, back to 1 Kings, the last chapter of 1 Kings, and chapter 22 of 1 Kings, and we'll pick up there. We're going to talk some about Jehoshaphat today. And we have been started going through 2 Kings, and we're only up to chapter 3. We've only done a couple messages on that so far. But anyway, we come to Jehoshaphat today. Jehoshaphat is not mentioned much in 2 Kings. He's mostly mentioned in 1 Kings and over in Chronicles. But uh, he's mentioned a little bit in our passage today. And Jehoshaphat gives us a good lesson. A good lesson. And you know, all of us have besetting sins, I believe. All of us have sins that dog us and that we have trouble with. The Bible talks about that, the sin that does so easily beset you. And Jehoshaphat had a besetting sin. In fact, a lot of those old kings, they had besetting sins, and you could see that in Kings and Chronicles. And the beauty of this history, this history is really old, it's really in the past, you know, but it's beautiful because it shows what God has to think about things and how God is dealing with men. And we have the divine commentary here on what is going on. And we don't have to wonder about it. It says exactly what God thinks and what God is doing in history. This is an example of what he is doing today. And so we have Jehoshaphat, and we might say just in beginning to tell you what we're going to see, is that Jehoshaphat had a besetting sin of the love of big deals. He just loved to have big deals. He loved big crowds, big get-togethers, and he liked to get together with the ungodly. Remember with our scripture at the beginning of the service this morning, he was reproved. Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love those that hate the Lord? And Jehoshaphat was basically a very godly king, but he had this one besetting sin. And you know, his father Asa, he was basically a good king, but he had the besetting sin of a lack of faith. And uh, we have these different kings with their different besetting sins. And then Uzziah was basically a good king, but he had a besetting sin of pride. And so we have those different things. And so here we are, pick up with Jehoshaphat here at the end of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 42. <clears throat> Jehoshaphat was 30 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 5 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shehi. And he walked in all the ways of Asa his father. He turned not aside from it, doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And so we don't have to wonder about whether Jehoshaphat was a good king or a bad king. You know, we have the divine commentary. You know, a lot of times, you know, people look at things in history and they say, well, how do you know that? How do you know he was good? How do you know he was bad? You know, what are you basing that on? Well, here it's no doubt. God tells us, he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, he had a couple of problems. The high places were not taken away, for the people offered and burnt incense yet in the high places. They were supposed to all go to Jerusalem 
to worship. And they had set up these high places and these groves to worship in. And the people were turned away from the Lord, and Jehoshaphat let them keep on with that. And then verse 44, here's where Jehoshaphat really got into trouble. He made peace, and Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. And what king of Israel did he make peace with? Well, especially it was Ahab. Ahab was a very ungodly king. And who was Ahab's wife? Jezebel. And so you have Ahab and Jezebel, and Jehoshaphat wanted to make peace with them. He wanted to have a big deal. He wanted to be accepted around. And so he had this love of being accepted, this love of big things. And so he made peace with the king of Israel. He didn't just make peace with him. He took his son and married off his son to the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And that brought terrible trouble in Israel for many, many years to come. And so then we go on to verse 45. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warred, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? That's First and Second Chronicles. And then here's an interesting verse, verse 46. We were talking a little bit about this in Sunday school this morning. And the remnant of the Sodomites, which remained in the days of his father Asa, he took out of the land. So here's something very good that Jehoshaphat did. He got rid of the Sodomites. He got rid of the remnant of the Sodomites that remained from the days of his father Ahab, Asa. And you know, that was a good thing in the sight of the Lord. What did the Lord think about that? The Lord thought it was great getting rid of the Sodomites, getting rid of the homosexuals. And that's what God still thinks today. You know, we have all this old history, but how God operated back here is how he's still operating today. God doesn't change. And God still does not like the Sodomites. He still does not like the homosexuals that are living in their sin. And, uh, you know, of course, any sin will take us to hell. And there are lots of big sinners out there. But, you know, the Bible always talks about homosexuality as an abomination. An abomination, something that's really bad. And, of course, we have in our nation today... Homosexuality is the new thing, and it's supposed to be accepted, and there's a big push on to accept it. And that's where they really want to get the Christians. They want to get at the Christians, because the Christians are haters. The Christians hate those homosexuals. Well, you know, we love them, and we'll preach the gospel to them, but we hate their sin. We hate how they live in their, this state of sin that they're in, and God doesn't like it. And God, I mean, that's an understatement. It's an abomination. And here, Jehoshaphat took it out of the land. And today, it's just, you know, we got President Biden. He's putting homosexuals and lesbians in charge of his departments. Uh, We had, uh, I remember a news item just recently about how the first lesbian CEO of a big company was CEO of Land of Lakes, of the, you know, the... A butter and cheese company. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, and, it, and they think that's a great thing. You know, homo, in, in Cameroon today, 
homosexuality is still illegal. And the United States can't stand that. And they put pressure on them to try to get rid of those laws. But that's how it is in a lot of uh, African countries and, in fact, a lot of Arab countries. And, you know, the Muslims are really bad, but they do have that going for them that they don't accept the homosexuality. But here we have the remnant of the Sodomites he took out of the land. He chased them out. And then verse 47, there was then no king in Edom. A deputy was king. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold. But they went not, for the ships were broken at Ezion Geber. And here again, uh, Jehoshaphat wants a big deal. And we're going to see a little later over in Chronicles about the same thing, that he had united with Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, to make these ships, but God broke them up and God reproved him. And we're going to see that a little bit later. Then said Ahaziah, verse 49, the son of Ahab, unto Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with thy servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. So it seems at least at some point, Jehoshaphat finally got the message that he shouldn't unite with Ahaziah and Ahab. And here he didn't want to unite with them anymore. But Jehoshaphat would not. He finally got a little bit of the message. Well, let's go over and see a little bit more in chapter 3, where, where our text is. Chapter 3 of 2 Kings. Chapter 3 of 2 Kings. And continue with Jehoshaphat and with this account of a battle they had. Now, chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah and reigned twelve years. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother. For he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. And Mesha, the king of Moab, was a sheep master and rendered unto the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. So here we have Jehoram. He's another son of Ahab. And Jehoram comes here to reign over Israel. And we're told about him. We don't, we don't need to wonder about how he was. It says here, verse 2, And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord. But he wasn't quite as bad as Ahab, but not like his father and like his mother Jezebel. And you know, there are degrees of good and there are degrees of bad. There really are. And God renders to everyone according to his works, we're told. And so in heaven, there will be degrees of reward. According to what we do on this earth, the Bible talks about our rewards. And in hell, there will be degrees of punishment. Jesus talks about it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for thee, Chorazin, and those different things. And so there were degrees. And it's not just, oh, I made it into heaven, that's all there is to it. No, we want to have rewards in heaven. And the Bible says that's something that we should want. And... It, is 
if we go to if people go to hell, you know, uh, it'd be better if they don't get the worst degrees of punishment. And here we have Jehoram. Well, he was less bad than Ahab, but he was still bad. He wrought evil in the sight of the Lord. And then verse 3, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. What were those sins? What was that sin? Well, that was putting up the golden calves in Dan and Bethel. And they always had that false religion going on in the northern kingdom of Israel. And that was the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. And you know, the northern kingdom, none of the kings of the northern kingdom were actually good. Some were a little less bad than other ones, but none of them were good. But in the southern kingdom of Judah, there were some good kings and some bad kings. And we have Hezekiah in the south who was good. We have Jehoshaphat who was basically good, even though he had a couple problems. Well, then we come down here to our uh, reading that we did in the responsive reading. We won't read that all again. But we have verse 5. It says, When Ahab was dead, the king of Moab, Moab rebelled against the king of Israel, against Jehoram. Why would Ahab rebel when Ahab... Why, why would the king of Moab rebel when Ahab was dead? Well, that's because Ahab was a strong king. And a weaker king came on the throne, and he thought he could get away with rebelling. He was a tributary king. Moab was tributary here. Well, what's going on right this very minute? We have war in Ukraine. And as soon as Trump was off the throne, we have invasion of Ukraine. And when the strong king is gone, then the wicked, they think they can run rampant. And that's what happened right here. Exactly that exact same thing in verse 5, and it's happened since the beginning of time. You've got to be strong against the wicked. You know, they always talked about disarmament. You know, oh, well, you know what? This nuclear arms, they're so evil in the world. And you know, what we need to do is just get rid of our nuclear arms, and then everybody else will get rid of their nuclear arms, and we'll be all happy. It's completely out of touch with reality. The wicked aren't going to get rid of their nuclear arms just because we get rid of them. No, they'll be very happy about that because they'll have the dominance over us. And so what's going on right now? We have over in Ukraine, uh, Putin is threatening with nuclear arms. You know, he's making inferences all the time about nuclear arms. He's grasping at straws for what he can do. But anyway... He's like, uh, talking like, I, I'm gonna, I got my, all these nuclear arms. Well, you know what France told him? Uh, France told him, well, we've got nuclear arms too. And, you know, is that others have them, and that, that's what keeps them from, from using what he has. And, uh, you know, we can't disarm. And only through, through strength will we have peace. And so Jehoram was not very strong, and Moab rebelled. And so the king of Moab, he was giving wool, and he was giving the lambs to the king of Israel year every year, tributary. And so then we have uh, verse 7. So here Jehoram, he went and sent to Jehoshaphat. 
And he knew Jehoshaphat loved to have big deals. And he had already done this with Ahab. Remember when he went with Ahab to war against Ramoth Gilead, against the Syrians? And so Jehoshaphat went with Ahab and Jezebel, united with him. And, you know, Jehoshaphat got into big trouble in that battle. And, you know, Jehoshaphat did these things that weren't pleasing to the Lord, and he suffered for them. And he suffered in that battle against Ramoth Gilead. You know, the thing is, in that battle, uh, he was wearing his royal robes, and all, every, all the Syrians concentrated on him, and it looked like Jehoshaphat was done for there. But then God helped him, we're told. And the Syrians departed from him, and they, they saw that he wasn't really who they were after. And uh, so God helped him in the middle of that, but he just about died. And he was in bad shape there in the middle of the battle. And Ahab got killed. And you know, right before that battle, there was a prophet that they asked about the battle. There was Micaiah. And Micaiah told him to be scattered, that it would be a bad battle, everything would go bad. And, you know, Micaiah was put in prison. And Ahab said, you're going to be in prison, Micaiah, until I come back in peace. Well, Micaiah said, if you come back in peace, then I'm not a prophet. God has not spoken by me. And he was really bold there. And you always wonder if he ever got out of prison. Well, he probably did. Probably they didn't keep on with Ahab's commandment after Ahab was dead. But anyway, the thing is, is that Micaiah gave that, that, that prophecy against Ahab and against Jehoshaphat there. And even though Jehoshaphat said he was a true prophet of the Lord... But what was interesting in that story is Micaiah was put in prison and Jehoshaphat was right there and Jehoshaphat didn't speak up for Micaiah at all. He didn't defend him, didn't try to keep him from prison because he was so interested in his big deal with Ahab, with Israel. And so here we have Jehoshaphat. And so, uh, verse 7, Jehoram sends to Jehoshaphat, Moab has rebelled, will you go with me against Moab to battle? And what did Jehoshaphat answer? I will go up, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. He had not learned his lesson with Ahab. He wanted to do the same thing all over again, have a big deal. And then they, they said, which way shall we go up? And he answered the way through the wilderness of Edom. And so Jehoshaphat was a Christian, a good Christian, basically, but he was disobedient unto God. And you know, when he came back from that battle with Ahab, we have that message that we had with the call to worship. Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love those that hate the Lord? We don't have to wonder what God thought about that. He told Jehoshaphat what he thought about it. And so... I realize there's a lot of details back here in this Old Testament history, but they're important details, and God is wanting us to learn from this history for today. We don't want to repeat the errors of history. And so, anyway, here we have poor Jehoshaphat. Once again, my people are as thy people, my horses as thy horses. So he goes up with them. And then verse 9. So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom. They got three kings here. 
And they fetched a compass of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. And of course, they were going around Edom, and Edom is a very desert area. And you know, uh, uh, you can, uh, most of you are probably familiar with Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Well, anyway, uh, it has that place in the rock there, that's Edom, and that movie. And it's out in the wilderness. It's out in the desert. And they made their city up in the rocks. And they thought they were all secure because they were dug out of the rocks way up high. Nobody could get them. Well, anyway, the king of Edom is here in this battle with Jehoshaphat. And they're going around Edom in the wilderness, in the desert. And what's a problem when you're out in the desert? No water. There was no water for those. I don't know what they thought they were going to do when they went out there. You know, when you go out in the desert, you better take some, a lot of water with you or you better know where there is some water. Maybe, maybe they came to a place where there was supposed to be water and there wasn't any water. I don't know what. Uh, but uh, they had no preparations, seems like, and there was no water for the host. And so that was an emergency there. You can't go without water in the desert very long, a whole army. And that's always been a problem with armies. And... Uh, uh, I think of in Brazil. In Brazil, most people don't know it, but in Brazil, the Dutch from Holland, they ruled over the northern part of Brazil for 25 years back in the 1600s. The Dutch Protestant Calvinists, they had a big part of Brazil. And they had a lot of, of course, the Portuguese had Brazil. They had taken the northern part of Brazil from the Portuguese. This was back when the Dutch were very strong. And they had a lot of battles on the sea with their ships, and they had battles on land. Well, the last battle they had that did in the Dutch there, you know what the problem was? They had no water. And they were going up to battle against the Portuguese, and all of a sudden, I, I don't know what the story was there either, but all of a sudden they had a big problem. They didn't have any water. And it was, Brazil can be really hot. And so they started a pullback a retreat uh, to go find some water. Well, you know, one of the hardest things in warfare is to have a pullback in the face of the enemy. Because when you start pulling back in the face of the enemy, it tends to become a retreat and a rout. And that's exactly what happened with the Dutch. When they started to pull back to get water, it became a rout, and they were defeated, and finally they had to pull out of Brazil. You know, that had great consequences. Brazil could have been a Christian country, or at least part of it could have been, uh, for a long time, although the gospel did go out with the Dutch there for a while. But the thing is, the Portuguese and the Catholics took it over and had it for a long time. Well, no water for the host. That's no new thing. And then verse 10, And the king of Israel said, Alas! that the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And so things looked pretty bleak. And Jehoshaphat was in bad shape here. And it looked like they were all going to die of thirst or be overcome by Moab out there in the middle of the desert. Where were they going to get water in the middle of the desert? And the king of Israel said, alas, alas. But verse 11, But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? 
And you remember back with Ahab, they had all kinds of prophets prophesying there. And they said, go up to Ramoth Gilead, you'll have victory. And you know, Jehoshaphat, he had some discernment, and he could tell that they weren't really prophets of the Lord, even though they said they were. He said, is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here? And they came up with Micaiah, and Jehoshaphat knew he was a true prophet. The true prophet gave a true message of defeat, but Jehoshaphat didn't take it. He didn't defend Micaiah, didn't learn his lesson. And here, once again, he hadn't learned his lesson, and he was in bad shape here, ready to die in the desert. Is there not here a prophet of the Lord? Well, then they answered and said, here is Elisha. Elisha, for some reason, I guess in the providence of God, happened to be nearby. Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. And, of course, uh, he was his servant. He was his understudy there, poured hands on his poured water on his hands. And then verse 12, And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. Jehoshaphat knew he was a good prophet, Elisha and Elijah. So the three kings, they went down to Elisha. And how did Elisha talk to the king there, Jehoram? He was very bold. These old prophets, they were very bold. And that was a distinguishing mark of them. And they were fearless most of the time. And he says to the king, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the, this is verse 13, Get thee to the prophets of thy father, to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And uh, so they all thought that they were going to be dead men there. And, you know, it's interesting here, the king of Israel, Jehoram said, the Lord hath called these three kings. He could recognize that. And then we go on to verse 14, and Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. And he's talking to the king of his country, all-powerful king. These kings had life and death power, and just by their decrees. And, uh, you know, it's kind of sad today, the president of the United States has such power. They have huge power today, not the way it's set up in our country. But back here, they had great power. And get to the gods of your father and mother, Ahab and Jezebel. And uh, here, uh, Elisha said, well, I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat. I know he's a good man. And so I'll talk to you. He wouldn't have even talked to them. He said he wouldn't even have looked at them nor seen them. And, you know, what is supposed to be our attitude toward the enemies of the Lord? That's a good question. Here's a little bit along that line. I would not look toward thee nor see thee. And, of course, there's the enemies of the Lord and the enemies of us personally. Those are two different things. Well, anyway, then, it, then he says, bring a minstrel, a minstrel played, and thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches, verse 16, verse 17, ye shall not see wind, neither rain, but the valley shall be filled with water. So Elisha prophesied that God would help them. And why would God help them? Well, God was going to be gracious to Jehoshaphat. 
even though Jehoshaphat was in his sin and he was in the wrong way, still God was gracious to him. What about us? Is God still gracious to us even when we sin against him? Yes, he is. And that's what he was here with Jehoshaphat. So God sent the water, and verse 20, And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered, that behold, there came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. And then when the Moabites heard that those three kings were come up, they came up and they looked, and they saw the country filled with water, and they thought it was blood. They thought they had fought with each other. And so Moab came in, and they were defeated. And Israel, and Jehoshaphat, and Judah, and Edom were victorious. God had helped them, sending water in the midst of the desert there. And so God was gracious to Jehoshaphat. Now let's go over to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. A parallel passage here about Jehoshaphat. Just a couple verses back here. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And it's continuing with Jehoshaphat. Uh, This is about all we'll see of Jehoshaphat in 2 Kings. In verse 35... And after this did Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, join himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who did very wickedly. Well, you don't have to wonder about what kind of a king Ahaziah was. It says he did very wickedly. And this is inspired history. This is what God has to say. There's no errors in here. He did very wickedly. And verse 36, here we have that same thing we saw back in Uh, chapter 22 of 1 Kings. But he joined himself, verse 36, with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made the ships in Ezion Geber. And so here, once again, Jehoshaphat wants to have a big deal, unite with the ungodly to have a big deal. To be accepted, verse 37. Then Eleazar, the son of Dodavah, of Meresheth, Merashah prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because thou hast joined thyself with Ahaziah, the Lord hath broken thy works. And the ships were broken, that they were not able to go to Tarshish. So here God said that he, again, was not happy with Jehoshaphat, that he had joined with Ahaziah to make these ships. And we don't have to wonder about whether God was pleased or not. He sent a prophet. And you know what the job of prophets was? It was to tell people things they don't want to hear. And that's what they were always doing. And that's what this Eleazar. And you know these prophets, they all of a sudden appear, they give a message, and then they disappear on the course of history. And God brings them in for a certain place in a certain time. Well, let's get down to today. Are there any people today that have the problem of Jehoshaphat? Well, the big one that I think of, that uh, the big name in recent history is Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, he basically preached the gospel. Basically, he was, he, what he said was good, basically. And I've run into people that were saved in the ministry of Billy Graham and that uh, there were some people saved under his ministry, and he basically preached the gospel. 
But he had the same problem as Jehoshaphat. And you know, Billy Graham came from a Bible Presbyterian background down in North Carolina. And the Bible Presbyterian Church has had great influence, even though it's so tiny. But anyway, he, he came from that background, but then he got uh, going in his ministry, and he decided he loved big deals. And he can reach the world, have big deals. The only thing is, he needs to unite with everybody to do it. And so he had his big crusades. And who did he reunite with in the big crusades? He united with everybody in the brother. He united with all the liberals. He united especially with the Roman Catholics. And he had Roman Catholic bishops and priests up there on the platform with him. And then, you know, when people would walk forward in the crusades to get saved, where would they tell the people to go to church? They would send them back to the Roman Catholic Church. And so, Billy Graham, he had some good points, but he had a besetting sin of Jehoshaphat. The love of big deals. And you think he's going to do a really big deal? And it looks big. He had huge crusades. But God is not pleased with that. God is pleased, you know, we think of ourselves as Bible Presbyterians to be in a really tiny church, the band of Gideon. And, you know, the thing is, God much would rather have that and be faithful and not be united with the wicked than to be out there and have big deals with the wicked and with the ungodly. Well, uh, you know, the Bible Presbyterian Church came out of the PCUSA back in the 30s. And all through the, the Bible Presbyterian Church coming out and up till today, there's always been two philosophies. Separation, which is what the BPs believe in and what the Bible teaches, or infiltration. And what we're going to do with infiltration, we're going to go into the ungodly organizations and we're, we're going to work on the inside and we're going to make them better and win them to the Lord that way by working on the inside. Well, you know, that never works. It certainly didn't work with the PCUSA. There were godly people back in the 30s, I think especially of like uh, McCartney, uh, Clarence McCartney, not, not the one of the Beatles, but Clarence McCartney out there in Pittsburgh. And he had a great big church in Pittsburgh. I went and visited it when I went out and visited the BP church out there, the pastor uh, Sidwell took me on a tour there, and we, we saw his church there in Pittsburgh. He had a pulpit set up. It was right down, the church was right downtown Pittsburgh, right among the skyscrapers. And he had a pulpit in the front of his church, overlooking the sidewalk there that would be full of people on a business day. And he would go out there on that pulpit and preach to the crowds going back and forth. And McCartney was a good Bible believer, but he wouldn't come out of the PCUSA. He was going to infiltrate it from the inside. Well, what's the PCUSA like today? I mean, it's just gone down and down and down. Now they've got homosexual pastors. They favor every bad thing under the sun. And uh, it's bad. They like abortion. They like everything bad. And those guys working from the inside, they didn't do anything. And the, th the thing is, if we're together an organization with the wicked, who's going to rub off on whom? Well, the way it normally works is the bad rubs off on the good, if we're all tied in together. 
And so we want to get out of it. Separate is what the Bible teaches. And it's interesting, even up till today, uh, right there in Smyrna at the Presbyterian Church in Smyrna, there's a guy there that seems to be pretty conservative. He's been, I don't know if I mentioned it before, probably I did, but anyway, he, he's got a sign in front of the church that's been up there for years now that talks against homosexual marriage. And he says, marriage is one man and one woman instituted by God, blessed by Jesus. And he puts that on the signboard, and he's had that there for years. And I went and complimented him on that, and he said he's had some persecution because of that. But the problem is he's still in the PC USA. And he still thinks that he can work from the inside. You can't work from the inside. And Jehoshaphat, he thought he could work from the inside. You know, with Billy Graham, not only would he get together with the Roman Catholics, he would get together with the communists. And he went over to Russia. And he went over there and buddied up with the communists. And you know, when you get together with the communists, when you get together with the Roman Catholics, what does it make the communists and the Roman Catholics look like? It looks like they're pretty good. It looks like they're just one of the boys, one of the good Christians, you know? And so the communists, you know, they didn't like religion. They didn't like anything like that. But they let Billy Graham come over as a propagandist so they could show the world how that they have religious freedom. And when Billy Graham was preaching in the church in Moscow, there were some very fearless Christians got up there and showed a sign about how there was persecution of the Christians there. And of course, they speared them off to the KGB and to the prison, and who knows what happened to them. But you know, uh, they were fearless to show that Billy Graham, one church at one time had the gospel preached. And they were just trying to put on a show. Well, we're in a very small church, but you know, we want to be pure. And you know, separation comes from the holiness of God, that be holy as I am holy. And so we want to try to be holy before the Lord, and we want to stay away from these big deals uh, like Jehoshaphat had. Let's bow in prayer. Oh Lord, we just thank thee for thy goodness to us. We thank thee for thy word. We thank thee for this history in the Old Testament that shows us exactly what thou hadst hadst to think about all these things, and guide us in thy paths, in Jesus' name, amen.